your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand it off to Minner, hit in the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Strike three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. Your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholtz and sports director Caleb Henry. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to another edition of the KLIN Husker Hour. I'm Cole Stukenholtz in my home office. That is Caleb Henry there in the actual KLIN studio office. Hello, hello. We're, uh, we're remote again. Our, our long-awaited in-person and live reunion <laughs> will have to wait another week. Uh, I think it was the first Saturday of December, the last time we were actually in person together on a Saturday morning, mm-hmm. if I remember. Yeah, that's correct. <sighs> well, you know, it, th- things have a way of happening. So it's all good. Everybody's good. We're making it work. Uh, Kenny Larrabee's got the Facebook Live going at KLIN Huskers, if you are so inclined. And we'll have Jimmy Watkins uh, via Zoom as well, so uh, you'll be able to see him uh, in uh, our next segment starting at 9.15. We'll, uh, we'll talk a little hoops, talk a little bit of football. Um, baseball just practiced yesterday, Caleb. We are, we are close to seeing the defending Big Ten champs mm-hmm. be able to play a non-conference schedule a full non-conference schedule for the first time in Will Bolt's three-year now, uh, heading into year three coaching career at Nebraska because he didn't get the full one in 2020 and then uh, didn't get one at all in 2021, uh, other than that little trip down to Fayetteville, Arkansas, if you want to count that as your non-con schedule. Uh, so they're getting ready to ramp up. Uh, we've got more hoops this weekend. Uh, both the men and women played Wisconsin on Thursday with varying results. Um, we'll uh, we'll dig into that. Uh, and it is, if you can't tell, um, if you're on the, uh, the Facebook Live and you can't tell behind me, uh, it's championship weekend. <laughs> we, got, uh, we got Patrick Mahomes in action, if you, uh, if you weren't aware. He's, he's still playing. It's, it's a championship game weekend, and he's a starting quarterback, so he is, uh, he's, of course, hosting the AFC championship game. Uh, I, don't, I, I wanted to give in a little bit to the, the topic du jour of the week, which we don't necessarily always do here, but... Uh, what are your thoughts, Caleb, on overtime? Because it feels like that's been a big thing that's been out there uh, this week. I, I don't know that anybody wants the NFL to go to like trading two-point conversions, <laughs> uh, but I think there may be a better way to do it than just coin toss and then you get a touchdown, although I wasn't opposed to it this last weekend. Uh, do, you, do you have a, a solution that you've come up with or, or heard this week that you're particularly fond of? Well, there's a there's a lot of solutions out there. Um, I think you you have to allow both offenses, both teams at least, to possess the ball. Um, and I know there was a lot of people saying, "Well, the Bills had the lead with 13 seconds to go. You just have to stop the Chiefs from getting into field goal range." Well, that was during regulation. Overtime is completely a different game. Um, so. Everything has to be fair from that point forward, not whatever preceded it. Um, so I think both teams should be allowed to possess the ball. Whatever rules people want to come up with, you have to go for two or the other team gets it, whatever it is. I, I don't care. Just as long as both teams get a chance to possess the ball, um, that way you're not leaving it up to a coin flip. Yeah, th- there's some interesting things that I saw uh, that that I like. I don't mind maybe giving uh, the team with home field advantage the ball first, regardless of what ends up transpiring after that, uh, and just decide that that way. And then everybody knows, you know, before the before the game even starts, who would get the ball first in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting if you also were to decide the um, if you decide the coin toss for the possession of first and second half and overtime at the beginning of the game. Uh, that's an option that I, I wouldn't mind that way. Again, you know what you're up against during the game, and there's no secret about who would get the ball first should the game go to overtime. Uh, and, and the yard line, uh, like where you take the ball, is, is, is an interesting one to me. So there's some that I saw where if you win the coin toss, you can either take the ball but then your opponent gets to pick the yard line you start at, or you can pick the yard line your opponent starts at, and they can have the ball. 
So you can you can basically stick somebody at their own one yard line, and if they can get out of the hole, then they have the advantage. But if not, you get the punt and you get great field position. Right. Um, and and another one that was interesting, you have uh, you have coaches. Uh, this is kind of like a game show, I guess. But you, you have coaches like send a, a sealed envelope to midfield to the officials once overtime starts with a yard line that you are willing to start at. And if you are further back than your opponent's coach, then you get the ball first. That would be pretty interesting as well. Oh, wow. Then we're getting to like deal or no deal type territory. And I don't know if that's really what you want from football, but it, 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 it gets out of the, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree that both teams should have a chance to, ch- to touch the ball in overtime. Um, but I, one of the things that's getting thrown around is the record in the playoffs since they went to the sudden death. If you score a touchdown, and it's, I think, the home team, the, or the, not the home team, the team that wins the toss has won 10 of the 11 games. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's a little bit misleading because seven of those, uh, of those 10 won with the touchdown on the first possession. I think that's more indicative of, of where it's at. It's not quite 10 out of 11. Oh, they're scoring a touchdown and winning every time. No, it's they eventually win, yeah. but some of those, they, they did give the ball to the other team at some point, and they didn't make it happen either. Um, I, I, it, it, the way that that whole discussion, unf- and, and you knew it was going to happen as soon as the Chiefs hit that field goal. It's like, oh boy, uh, as, as a Chiefs fan who was in attendance in 2018 when Tom Brady got the toss and went right down and scored with Rex Burkhead, that jerk scoring the touchdown to beat the Chiefs, uh, I knew that whoever won that toss was was pretty much going to go down the field and score in right. that game and the same with Bills and, and Chiefs this last weekend. And it's, you know, being a, a, a fan of the Chiefs and, and also paying a lot of attention to Nebraska, it's fun to know that your team is going to score in, in overtime as opposed to <laughs> not going to score uh, in overtime. Right. <laughs> and and the, uh, the, the other thing, that, and that kind of transitions into to college because there was some discussion about what Big Ten football was going to do with scheduling going forward, Caleb, and, mm-hmm. and I want to dig into this next because the idea of the Big Ten discussing, A, maybe cutting out divisions – from uh, conference play and how you determine your top two for the conference championship game, and B, potentially going back to eight conference games as opposed to nine, uh, it was a little inter- it was a little stunning to me, frankly, because the Big Ten is all about basically tying one hand behind their back when it comes to competing with the SEC right. in in some of these things. Yeah. The SEC's got like yeah no no we're good we're we're going to play our uh, bye game in November against one AA teams. The Big Ten at one point was trying to pledge to just never play an FCS team again. Um, and and then you have the nine games where the SEC stood padded eight. I, I think it's interesting that the Big Ten may actually beat the SEC to the punch proactively in getting rid of divisions. The Big 12 had this uh, and still does have this set up, and they may not when they go to 12 um, after the changes with uh, Oklahoma, Texas leaving, and then those four from the American coming in. Um, oh, well, and BYU. But the 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 possibility that the Big Ten might actually get it right before another conference beats them to the punch, uh, another power like the SEC. I mean, not necessarily Big Twelve, but that one kind of stunned me because that's just very un-Big Ten-like of the Big Ten, don't you think? Right now, no. A big part of this is going to be what happens with the money side of it. If you eliminate one Big Ten game, that eliminates a lot of what you are able to offer. As as media rights um, for folks to pay for, but as part of that, you would be setting up an alliance game. So how would that right. money get split up between the ACC and the Pac-12, um, as well as you and the Big Ten? So there there's the money side of it to think about. I think even if you eliminate that game and add in the alliance game, and so you're still at a guaranteed nine uh, nine P five games. Um, yeah. that you're able to offer to your your media partners, and you were already going to see a jump in the dollars, it's going to more than make up that difference, even without having a game within your own league. And then that, that allows the other teams to still have those three non-conference games outside of the alliance that they can go find some stuff. Like right now, Nebraska's playing Oklahoma, and you you get some other teams like this last year. You had Buffalo, and obviously Fordham um, was one to kind of 
fit in there and make up some things. So there, you still have the flexibility when you go to those eight league games and then the one alliance game. I think it'd be good for him. I, I want to see it. Now, how would you do, Cole, the games within the league? Because you got to find a way. Who who are you playing for those eight games? Yeah, I I think that you want to try to rotate through as often as possible to play all the teams at some point in a, a two or four year period. Um, I, I think the one that I've seen is each team has three teams that they are locked into playing every year. I'm not sure how that how that shakes out in terms of how I mean, there's fifty thousand trophy games in the Big Ten, and and which teams have to play which teams. Uh, but if you can find a way to do it so that everybody plays three teams every year, the same ske- the same every year, you just rotate home and away. Um, that's three out of the other ten teams in the Big Ten, you being one of them. And then of those other ten, you rotate five this year and then five next year, or you rotate five home, uh, five some combination of home away, and then flip those the following year. Mm-hmm. And then in the third year, you play the other five home away and then you flip that way home uh, and, and so that way you're playing literally every other team in the Big Ten uh, at some point two times out of every four years right. plus you're playing the same three teams um, every time. Now where that could come in uh, is for a team like like Michigan State for instance those teams might be Michigan, Ohio State and Penn State <laughs> uh, and that might not go over so well for, for Mel Tucker so there, there's some competitive balancing that that need that would maybe be done on it, I, and I don't know if Michigan State has a different, maybe Minnesota, um, maybe uh, I, I'm not sure what other, uh, you know, if somebody's got to play Maryland and Rutgers, you know, every mm-hmm. single year, and and that's not necessarily going to make sense. Um, I think Penn State would be one of them, but maybe Michigan State, to, so they maybe can avoid having to play Ohio State every year. Th- th- those types of things need to be worked out, but I think that might be the model. That way, you're not seeing. Uh, what was it? Indiana playing Nebraska once in seven years. Yeah. Michigan and Nebraska hardly ever playing uh, versus Nebraska playing was uh, playing Ohio State literally every season, mm-hmm. despite being opposite divisions. There, 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 there are some ways that you can do that with the schedule that I've seen that that would make sense. Uh, and and just the fact that the Big Ten could potentially be untying their own arm that they themselves tied behind their backs. <laughs> Uh, is refreshing to me. It's it's an interesting concept, and I'm glad that they're considering it. Uh, I am. Um, I am too. I would hope, though. So there, there was a couple ways I saw those three games going, where you were put into a pod, and those four teams are they play round robin, and then they play the other five. There was also it was like a mishmash. Like say Nebraska played Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Minnesota might play. Obviously, plays Nebraska. But they might not play Iowa and Wisconsin. They might play two other teams. And I was like, I, I like the the pod there where you've got your four that you are set up. So you you have a kind of like a division, a, a little bit that 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 you're able to know these are the teams you're going to play every year, and you four have to go head to head against each other. I liked that a little bit, and I like. As a matter of fact, I would like if if they did go to that setup, Nebraska getting. Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, because those are your geographic teams. Those are the teams you're most built like, um, and those are the teams that are most competing for the the West Division title each year. Um, although you'd be a, a, away from divisions, I would like that setup. Yeah, Northwestern would come to mind as well as potentially a, a matchup that, no, that send would make sense. No, <laughs> I'm just saying. I, it, it wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to do just straight up this pod, and, and then all those teams play all those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, unless you went to sixteen teams, which the Big Ten I don't think is is uh, ready to do or wants to have to do. So I, you, you'd have to figure out a way to where it wouldn't yeah. be the same four teams all playing each other. You'd have to have some movement uh, a little bit there. But it, it is interesting, and and this could happen. The thing that was interesting to me is it could happen as soon as next year. Yeah, the way the media uh, rights work out. Yeah, which that's a pretty quick turnaround considering how how it seems like scheduling happens so far out in advance. But one thing about the pandemic that we've learned is that, you know what? We don't necessarily need to take 
seven years into the future to to, to schedule games. There's that game last year that BYU and Coastal Carolina put together in like four days. Right. You know, like we can do this in a lot shorter time frames. And I think now that people are realizing that, uh, it, it's becoming easier to see ways to evolve the scheduling to make it more advantageous for your conference to qualify for the playoff and, and even for an expanded playoff and get into the New Year's Six games. Make it more advantageous for your TV, uh, uh, the, the the partners that you're working on the TV deals with, because those dollars are still going to be there if you're agreeing to play a ninth game against the Pac-12 or the ACC, even if it's not a ninth Big Ten game. Um, that way you're not beating up on your own conference and you're not costing your conference automatically uh, half of your teams getting an extra loss across right. the board. That's how the SEC gets 13 teams into bowl games and the Big Ten <laughs> did not. Uh, it, it, it's simple math. The SEC knows it. It made maybe the Big Ten's coming around. Uh, tip of your cap to to Gary Barda and Kevin Warren and those guys if they are actually considering this and hopefully they follow through on it. Um, let's uh, let's hit our break here. Then we'll get with Jimmy Watkins, uh, basketball writer for the Omaha World Herald. The, the Huskers got back off of their COVID pause on Thursday. Looked okay for a little bit, but uh, they did that Nebraska ball thing where they had a huge drought and, and Wisconsin took off with the game and won. Uh, and, and Nebraska's back in action tonight. Uh, we'll see what they're up against and, and what is on the horizon for the rest of this year for Fred Hoiberg and company, uh, plus some more transfer portal news for the Huskers. Uh, we'll tell you about all that coming up here on the KLIN Husker Hour. Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. KLIN Husker Hour. Uh, working on getting Jimmy Watkins uh, going here uh, to, to join us, uh, and we'll uh, have him shortly, hopefully. Um, one thing that we're going to get into today uh, is, is the way that Nebraska football's roster is kind of shaping up. Uh, and we did have a transfer last week. We actually know already where he's going. Wyndon Hohuli, uh, who was a fairly highly rated linebacker out of Hawaii, uh, left the Huskers late last week, and uh, he has now committed to Hawaii, we found out this week. Uh, so uh, he's out from the linebacker core and uh, D lineman this morning. Caleb uh, chose to uh, leave Nebraska. Jordan Riley right. is in the transfer portal. Uh, he played uh, in 16 games over the last couple of seasons. Eight tackles, one tackle for loss. Could have been in the mix in the middle, but maybe him uh, leaving indicates that he was not, uh, depending on whether it's mm-hmm. uh, Nash Hutmacher or Ruquan Buckley or uh, a combination of other guys. Uh, Jordan Riley not not going to be a part of the program moving forward. And I know there, uh, there was a lot of folks that were, uh, and me included, I think you, you as well, have been pretty high on Nash. Um, there, yes. there, there, there were some times that maybe things didn't go um, 100% his way, but when he found a way to get on the field um, through their rotation, he did make an impact a number of times. He got in the backfield. So um, I think there was just for, for Jordan Riley, you're looking at the guys around you and saying um, there's not necessarily a path forward outside of injury for getting on the field. Um and that's not a bad thing. And I know there there's some folks that are going to flip that into, well, you should just see that as competition to make yourself better. Yes, there, there's absolutely that part of it too. But there's also the, I want to play, and the guys they brought in I recognize are really good, <laughs> and the guys around me are really good, um, and there's just not a path here. Um, so there's 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 that decision that has to be made, and Jordan Riley made that one here in the last 24 hours. Yep, and w- with the way that Nebraska has kind of revamped uh, quite a few things with the portal, uh, D line was maybe the one place that I was uh, perhaps expecting to see somebody in the transfer portal to to come in, and mm-hmm. um, it, it didn't end up happening. They got a couple of guys on the offensive line. Um, just D line wise, I mean they're they're losing, uh, obviously Ben Stilley uh, and and DeAndre Thomas who who played a, a nice role as a backup and a rotational player, um, but the guy in the middle, man, losing Damian Daniels, uh, it, having him play as much as he did and as well as he did, uh, that is going to be the most. I mean, we talk about the secondary uh, a lot with both losing both safeties and Cam Taylor Britt and JoJo Doman, but. It may be uh, a tougher replacement for Damian Daniels than anyone else. Just the way that he stepped up the middle uh, was was pretty impressive all year. 
Yeah, that's and that's going to be one of the things. How do you next year when you've lost so many of those guys, and not just the guys up front, but the guys, um, your linebackers that you've lost, um, your back-end guys that you've lost, how do you continue to do all right at the, the point of attack at the line? Um, so I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see what that looks like this spring as you've got as you've had the coaching changes. Um, that's the only coaching change you've had on the defensive side is up front. Um, so what does that look like with Dawson having those guys, those edge rushers and those D linemen through spring ball? Do they change up maybe a little bit of the of the way they attack the offensive line? I don't know, but I, I'm going to be interested to see that just as much as I'm interested to see what all the transfers do on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and, and in terms of transfers, we, obviously Nebraska's recruiting class was not highly rated they, they are uh, right now 49th in terms of 24-7's rankings. The transfer portal, however, is a different story. Uh, Nebraska is sitting 8th uh, in the transfer portal rankings. This is kind of a new thing. Yeah, brand new uh, this year. Right, and, and they've got 12 guys in that list, uh, and they are, uh, they've been as high as 5th or 6th, I think. They've, they've dropped down a little bit with some other guys going elsewhere. Uh, but, I mean, you look at the teams that are ahead of Nebraska – uh, LSU, USC, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Arkansas, uh, Texas, and Florida right behind them. Alabama is 11th. It, like, I mean, Nebraska is competing pretty well there, in, in, despite the fact that their actual recruiting class for incoming freshmen and junior college guys is, is not very big and not very highly rated. So uh, that makes it a little bit better to take. Um, the addition of Omar Brown, which that was breaking right as Mike Schaefer was joining the show last week, so it was a uh, pretty fortuitous timing because mm-hmm. uh, Schaefer knew all about it and was ready to rock with that one. Uh, but but getting other guys in there, obviously Casey Thompson and, and Chuba Purdy are the headliners. Uh, but you've got other guys like the the kicker and punter uh, Busini and Bleak Road uh, with Trey Palmer uh, being a, maybe an impact player at returner. Uh, you're going to be able to flip special teams hopefully right away. Uh, which, frankly, looking at 2021, would have bought you, you know, two or three wins right there. Right, um, could have flipped those uh, very quickly. Well, and that's so, just talking about Cole, real quick. That's just talking about specialists, right. um, and not not to to make the joke. It's it's been it's been an issue with specialists, <laughs> not special teams. I get that. Um, walking away from that is those are those are the specialists that are coming in and flipping um, what could be results. I want to see. What Bush does with the entirety of the special teams? How do you set up a return? How do you set up punt coverage? Um, how do you set up kickoff coverage? Can you actually set up returns um, with all these things? Can you set up a fake? Um, because there, there are so many things with the special teams that we did not see this last year, and we have not seen under Scott Frost um, be effective. Um, so it's a, it's a lot more than who are, who's the guy who's punting the ball or kicking the ball. I want to see how are the other 10 guys um, set up for the punt, punt return, kickoff, kick return, um, all of it. And that, that's, that, there's a lot of improvement that still has to be made than just who you put out there. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as far as the defense the, the the defense looks a little bit different in terms of, of what they're going to have to do because of the replacing the players that they need the the offense it's going to look different because you've got a different coaching staff like there's there's different reasons why um these these units are looking different obviously special teams too with a different coach there uh leading the way and i mean obviously mike dawson's still on staff and maybe bill bush had some input last year but the fact that he'll be more hands-on i think is beneficial um it, the 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 main thing that I think that you want to take out of the personnel changes uh, before you see anything in the spring, before you start seeing any of the practice reports come in, before uh, any of that stuff, um, the main things that you want to address personnel-wise and the main news that you want to see coming out uh, from from that is just getting getting more bodies and and getting more options. Um, that is the the best thing that you can do at this point in the season because we've always had hype. There will always be hype. You will always have, hey, this guy's going to be the guy. We don't need to worry about it anymore. And then that guy doesn't turn out to be the guy, and you still worry about it a lot. That happens all the time. So if you give yourself more options, which Nebraska's been doing all off season, 
with the transfer portal especially, then if you have one guy that you thought was the, like Casey Thompson, we're all thinking, oh, yeah, Casey Thompson's a guy. Well, what if he's not? You have options. You have Chubba Purdy as well. They've given themselves choices to, to be able to give them more margin for error, uh, to allow for uh, a little bit more depth if you have injuries happen. Like Things like that are going to take place. And so in a make-or-break season like 2022 is going to be, the fact that you have more options, you've given yourself more depth, you've given yourself more competition in the pra- on the practice field, like all of those things will feed into the uh, into the other. And really, in the off season here, with nothing going on on the field, that's all you can ask of your of your football team is to to have more options to to give yourself a chance uh, to to keep yourself in the game in terms of having enough guys to play, having enough guys to play well, uh, and and not having such a steep drop off at times. Uh, when when you lose guys on the field, uh, and and that's what Nebraska's uh, I think been able to do well. The rest of the stuff on the field obviously remains to be seen, uh, but but giving yourself options is key. Um, uh, real quick, Cole, bef- before we take our our second break, um, there's there was a lot of chatter this week about Austin Allen. Um, yes. and, and he he's making some 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 eyes open up uh, what he's able to do uh, with his size. Uh, Mel Kiper Jr. released his his position rankings for the upcoming draft. I don't know if you saw these, but um, for oh. corner, Cam Taylor Britt is ranked as the ninth best corner. JoJo Doman is the number seven safety. Cam Jurgens, where do you think he ranks for centers? Well, Linderbaum's one. I'll say four. Four is where Cam Jurgens is at. Hey, hey, look at me. If you are the fourth best center in a yeah. draft, you're getting drafted. Oh, yeah. Like, that's where that is. And I saw I saw a number of folks, when he made his announcement, I've seen other folks as, as lately as this week saying Cam Jurgens made a bad decision declaring for the draft. He needed to come back for another year. A lot of those folks, I realize, and I, I wanted him back too, selfishly. <laughs> Cam Jurgens is going to get drafted. He's going to make some money. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And the the other part, he said, you know, if you're top four, you're getting drafted. I mean, just looking at the Chiefs, uh, they got a second rounder in Creed Humphrey. He he was either the first or second center off the board, uh, and it was a late second rounder. Uh, just to give you an idea where those guys go, I think Linderbaum is is mo- in mock drafts uh, slated to go in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, you're going to be potentially a day two pick, depending on where other guys fall, depending on how high a team may grade you. It only takes one team. And know? and this is all before the combine, because yes. they think about the the way Jurgens is, is going to destroy combine testing. <laughs> Jurgens is built more like Travis Kelsey than he yeah. is any of the centers in this draft. He's going to go test out of the test test off the charts for all of this. So yeah. there, there is going to be a GM and see that and go, oh, we can do some stuff with that as an interior lineman. Yeah, I, I don't know how many NFL teams are pulling their centers, but they're going to have their eyes open to the possibilities when they pull out the Cam Jurgens tape, I tell you what. <laughs> uh, and and, he, and all, he and Allen are both officially invited to the Combine, so now the Huskers have four guys. Uh, going to the combine with Cam Taylor Britt, JoJo Doman, Austin Allen, and Cam Jurgens. So, congrats to those guys, and uh, they'll get their shot in front of all the in front of all the GMs for the Underwear Olympics uh, coming up here soon. <laughs> the Underwear Olympics. That's right. All right, um, head to our next break. Uh, we'll see if we can connect with Jimmy Watkins to talk some Husker hoops. Uh, Nebraska ball back in action today. Uh, they're taking on Rutgers, a one and a half point underdog at home, uh, and. We're going to talk a little bit about the schedule coming up for the Huskers, Caleb, because they have a chance as the schedule flips a little bit with Trey McGowan's getting back healthy mm-hmm. uh, to maybe finally do something uh, in a in a Fred Hoiberg season. So we'll talk about that all coming up here on the KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you an inside look at everything Huskers. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on 1499.3 KLIN. Rolling along here on your Saturday morning. This is the KLI and Husker Hour. We've got Caleb Henry there in studio, along with Kenny Larrabee running the Facebook Live at KLI and Huskers. Uh, I'm Cole Stukenholtz here in South Lincoln, uh, not in studio, uh, but we're making it work. We're making it happen for you. Uh, and 
hopefully making it happen soon for you will be Nebraska basketball as uh, the the men's team takes on Rutgers this afternoon at five thirty and uh, four thirty right here pregame on the KL on KLIN. Um, and the KLIN app, uh, all those places that you love to listen to KLIN, of course. Caleb, the way that the schedule laid out, I, I, I remember looking at it earlier in the season, and I remember a Fred Hoiberg comment about how every team in January, but Indiana was a, a tournament team last year, and Indiana was already really, really good in, in 2021-22 right. as well. When, when I looked at the numbers, uh, based on the standings right now, um, Nebraska has played every single top eight standings team in the Big Ten, uh, or, or at least all of their games have been against top eight competition yeah. in terms of today's Big Ten standing. <laughs> and after they play Rutgers and then Michigan next week, uh, they play seven in a row against the nine through 13 teams. Of course, Nebraska's in 14th place. Um, and depending on where Ohio State falls, that might not end up being seven in a row because they still need to reschedule that one. And they finish up with Wisconsin. Uh, but that's remarkable, the fact that uh, Nebraska, yes, they are winless in the Big Ten, but they have also played all of the good teams and none of the <laughs> mediocre to bad teams. Um, so you can sort of explain it away. Like, this was this is this is something that's come up again uh, here in, in the last couple of weeks as Nebraska's pi- losses have just kept piling up. Uh, and Dirk Chatlin had a, a column about it here, just about how awful some of the numbers are in terms of the Fred Hoiberg record. And you can explain a little bit of a way. Um, obviously, year one, there was a completely different roster. Uh, year two, they, they kind of flipped the roster again, but some of the guys had been there in the system. Uh, but then you had the COVID hit, and, mm-hmm. and everything went to crap <laughs> late. Um, and this year, you have Fred, Ho- you, you have Hoiberg, you know, getting uh, a little bit of roster continuity and a really good recruiting class. But then you get Trey McGowan's going down and Wilhelm Breedenbach going down, mm-hmm. um, and still winless in the Big Ten. Like at some point, the excuses aren't going to be valid anymore. I don't know if that. I don't know if this is the year. I, I think they they probably keep Hoiberg regardless, um, even if they go zero and twenty, God forbid. But. Man, they have gotten a run of of just bad hands dealt to them, uh, and and you hope that with the schedule kind of flipping late in the season here and getting Trey McGowan's back, they may be able to get a few in the win column. Yeah, and and that that's the reality of playing in the Big Ten Conference, both men's and women's. Yeah. Is it's going to be a buzzsaw um, if you're trying to turn a program around? There's there's going to be very good teams, and it's just the way the schedule worked out that Nebraska's playing. All of the the top half, the top two thirds teams here for their their first two thirds of the schedule, um, and then they'll close out with the the bottom tier. But even then, it's the Nebraska has had issues that are not opponent related. Um, I believe in Dirk's Dirk's column he covered this as well. But it's not just the losses; it's how the losses happen. It's when you give up the the big runs and then you go on scoring droughts yourself. What are you doing to put yourself in those positions? Well, you just moved the ball really well for the last five minutes, and you went on a run yourself. Then all of a sudden, now it's, well, it's his turn to shoot. Now it's my turn to shoot. Now he's going to shoot, and the ball's never going to actually move. It's just going to be five guys standing around the perimeter. And when you clank a few shots in a row, and then nobody's driving into the paint and kicking, and you're not getting back in transition, those are the things that make it frustrating as I'm watching this team with the losses. It's not just the fact that there are the losses. It's how the losses are happening. It's on Thursday against Wisconsin going, okay, well, now you've you've dropped back to an 18-point deficit. You're probably going to put on a really big run, and it's going to be too little too late. And what happened? Well, they put on a really big run, <laughs> and it was too little too late. It's like um, Jack said on, on the show yesterday on LMK Today with Jack and Friends. You could have written the script for what was going to happen for that game before the game even happened. You've gotten so used to what's going to happen. Well, the team's going to probably start out okay. They're going to make they're going to get way behind, going to make a really big run and just going to run out of time or run out of gas at the very end. And it's just when you do that so many times, that is now your habit. Your habit is not what you do for that really good stretch run of 5-6 minutes. Your habit is only being able to do that because you're so far down. How do you get that mentality to switch? That's that's Hoiberg's big task right now. 
is yeah, it, how, how do you yeah. get that mentality to switch to do that for it doesn't have to be the whole 40 minutes you'd love it to be the whole 40 minutes but don't do it for a third of the game or half of the game how do you do that for 25 minutes how do you do that for 30 plus minutes and and that puts yourself puts yourself in a better position to win ball games yeah it, it's their identity at this point right like that <laughs> it's their identity they they have a lull that is so bad that it buries them in almost every game uh the, and and even in the games that they've been close in it's been it's it's not been bad luck every time uh, the illinois game comes to mind where nebraska had uh, I think it was when they tied it, and the next Illinois possession was a missed, like a missed runner or a missed jumper, and some some like the seventh or eighth guy for Illinois, one of the dudes off the bench, is all alone under the basket, and he gets three uncontested offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. That's just, that is an effort deal. That is nobody being willing to step up in the moment and going to get a rebound, going to box that guy out, going to make it at least a little bit difficult for him. Maybe he gets bounced around a little bit and ends up in somebody for Nebraska's hands. And you see sometimes the same on the other side in late-game situations where uh, Alonzo Verge, he was pilloried all early in the season, and I think you know deservedly so for a majority of the time. But I feel like he's gotten a little bit of a bad rap, Caleb, because there's times where he's dribbling the ball looking for somebody to move. Mm-hmm. And the other four guys aren't moving without the ball. Yeah. So he, he almost has no choice but to try to go into the lane and just get a layup up just to get a shot off. And so it, it's their identity at this point. And, yeah, you're right. I don't know how you get them out of that identity because it's so baked in now that it's who they are. But I, the, the one sliver of hope, I think, is the fact that you've gotten Trey McGowan's back in the lineup. Mm-hmm. He's got two games under his belt. Um, he's been able to ramp up a little bit in terms of the minutes played. I don't remember how many he had in the first, but last game he had, I think, 28 minutes. They were trying to keep him around 25. Yeah, he had 21 in that first game back. 21 in the first game. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that was, which was more than they thought he was going to get. Um, and, and obviously he had a little bit more time to, to rest afterwards with the COVID pause. But mm. um, at any rate, getting him back in the lineup gives Hoiberg a few more options in terms of who can handle the ball. Um, it, it's it's not just a Verge or Webster uh, situation. You could let uh, Trey McGowan's handle the ball a little bit more, uh, let those guys play off the ball a little bit more. Um, and they shot well against Indiana in that first game that you got Trey back. Yeah. So the, there there is a glimmer of hope with the schedule changing. There's a glimmer of hope with Trey McGowan's getting back and, and being able to play more minutes and being a little bit more in basketball shape and getting other guys more in the right spot and kind of getting his, his sea legs back. And and having those things align um, is is the one thing that you can point to if you're a Nebraska ball follower at this point to say you know what this has this has been terrible all year it's been unwatchable at times uh, it's been a rough two and a half years overall with Fred Hoiberg at the helm but you can get things turned in the right direction with a little bit different competition level. Uh, with a little bit more optimism with, with getting your leader back, your vocal leader back on the floor, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe you can, you know, with that Northwestern game, uh, a couple against Iowa, um, a couple against uh, Minnesota, you get Penn State, which is still Fred Hoiberg's only road win, uh, and you're going out to their place again late <laughs> in the season. You might get win number two on the road. You never know. Uh, that that gives you a little bit of hope to look at if you're if you're looking at this team and following this team along this season. Now, when when you look at that stretch, and I've been asked this over the course of the week, and um, where would you put? You, you see the stretch where you're you're going to come out of playing those top top two thirds of the teams in the league, and then you're going to get the bottom third of the teams. If the line was at two and a half for wins for Nebraska the rest of this regular season. Are you going over or under two and a half? I think they can get to three. You think they can get to three? You got so you got Northwestern at home, February fifth. I think that's your first one, unless they maybe somehow steal this one tonight against Rutgers, uh maybe in Ann Arbor against Michigan. They've been really, really weird, really up and down. Uh they're super talented, but they've just kind of been weird. Um you could get Minnesota 
and Maryland, both at home. Both of those are at home. February 9th, Minnesota. February 18th, Maryland. Um, you get Northwestern again in Evanston on February 22nd, and then Penn State uh, up there February 28th. And you get Iowa a couple times. If you can slow Keegan Murray down like you just did with Jordan Davis, um, I think you've got a chance there too. Yeah, I, I think they can get to three. Okay. I really do. I do. And, and, and I, like I said, it's a lot of it is Trey McGowan's based. <laughs> so, right. uh, I hope your shoulders are, uh, are ready enough to handle that load, Trey, but I'm putting it on. I, I think they can get to three. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. see. I, I, I took the under on that. Cause I just, I have to see it. There's enough, as I said earlier, there's enough issues that I see with these losses that are not opponent related. Um, they, they putting themselves in bad positions and it doesn't matter whether it's a top 25 team, a top 10 team, or an unranked team on the other side. It, it's, it's the issues are there no matter who they're playing. Unless it's Colorado in an exhibition game, I guess. Boy, they got all their good shooting out in that one <laughs> game that didn't count. Uh, with that, let's head to break. Uh, we're, we're still going to try to connect uh, with Jimmy Watkins here if we can before the end of the show. Um, we will uh, get you set for the weekend as well. Uh, and uh, when we come back, uh, let's talk a little Husker baseball, why don't we? We got uh, practice just happened yesterday. Um, we are three weeks away from the season starting. Uh, we'll run down what you, what you can expect from the Big Ten champs uh, and finish up the show next year on the KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Pleased to be joined now by Jimmy Watkins from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, he covers hoops and more for the paper there. And uh, Jimmy, let's jump right in with uh, Trey McGowan's back and the schedule lightening up. There's a little bit of a glimmer of hope, a little bit of reason for optimism uh, late this year. What, if anything, has been different to you since Trey McGowan's got back on the floor? I mean, first and foremost, Trey's is their, their top perimeter defender, and they don't really have, like, we, we could have a very interesting, although kind of depressing discussion about who the second best perimeter <laughs> defender is. So, like, there's that, right? He's also one of their best uh, communicators, one of their most assertive leaders out there. So, I think Trey helps in in that when they hit those, you know, those those situations where like the other day they missed twelve straight shots. I think his presence out there makes it less likely that, you know, that they can fight back from those situations. That eighteen point lead doesn't turn into twenty five, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he is also one of their best rebounders. Um, him and like. Alonzo Verge was the team's leading rebounder the other night, but Trey's still playing limited minutes. He's he's just one of the one of the guys that you can point to on this team and say that guy's going to stick his nose in there no matter what else is happening in the game. So that that's a, a, a side of this team that we don't see often enough, and you hope that that's contagious for everyone else. That's that's the main thing for him is just the energy that he provides out there. With that Wisconsin game, uh, Nebraska made it close at the end, as you know, as you could probably have predicted. Um, with with Rutgers here today, and then Michigan next week, that kind of wraps up the stretch of of playing all these top eight Big Ten teams uh, before the the schedule lightens up a little bit for them. Uh, Rutgers was one of the games, and Michigan too, where Nebraska just kind of didn't have it. They they didn't have a lot of uh, effort, and and they didn't seem to have the fight. And they get both of them back to back now, and Trey is able to be on the floor. Uh, do you has there been any indication from the players or, or from Fred Hoiberg that that that's on their minds and they want to try to make it right and and put out a little bit more since they just kind of laid down the last time they played this team in Michigan? We haven't really been able to talk to them specifically about these games yet, but I'm sure it is. I mean, the, the, you get you get beat down like that, that doesn't go away. Um, and then they they have talked about Fred specifically, as mentioned during the Michigan game. They've put a lot of – there was a lot going on with that team during that time. That was sort of when they had the whole viral infection, and I still, you know, about a month later, still don't know how much stock to put into that with Michigan and Auburn, how bad those games looked. But clearly something was going on with that team. I mean, Fred has said that they had – I think everyone on the team besides Casey had some form of, of this viral infection, and – Guys were thrown up middle of practice. Guys were showing up late to practice because they had crazy headaches. Um, so they, I think they definitely want to prove that that those that little stretch there doesn't define them. 
and the Rutgers thing, I mean, it's, uh, we don't have anything else to put that on. <laughs> I was just, it's embarrassing. I mean, that, that Rutgers is the second lowest ranked team in the net rankings in the Big Ten, and they beat you by 30. It's like, it just gives the impression that you are so far away from, from even taking the next step on the ladder. Not Forget about where you want to be. One step above, you lose by 30. That is, that's a lot to swallow. So I think it'll be this team has one road win under Hoiberg. That'll, so that, that element is gone. Rutgers is good at home. And while Michigan is playing probably its best basketball of the season, I don't think it can be much worse than it was here at PBA on Tuesday. So that, that certainly will drive them going forward this next stretch. Jimmy Watkins joining us from the Omaha World Herald talking Nebraska basketball. Uh, the the numbers are pretty staggering when you take a look. And, and Dirk Chatlin there, your colleague at the World Herald, did that with a column uh, late, this, late this week. 7-42 and 42 against top three teams in program history. But Fred is 5-45 and 45 in all Big Ten games, regardless of ranking. I don't even know what to do with that. Like, that is stunning to me. And... Uh, Look, we you, you pointed this out on Twitter, too, where you can kind of excuse away the first year because that whole roster flipped, and we all knew that. And then last year, COVID just completely wrecked their Big Ten season. Um, but there's got to be a point where the excuses aren't really excuses when they just keep piling up and there's always some excuse, right? Like, eventually there's going to have to be results. How how do you resolve this other than just starting to win games? I mean, there's there's it's so hard to flip a narrative like that when the numbers are just that bad. I've been thinking about this for three months. I mean, I think you can. <laughs> I really think you can talk yourself into whatever opinion you want to have about this team. You can talk yourself into circles so quickly. We all accept that the first roster, no one's winning with that. We all accept that. I mean, look, hey, I I had some non-productive stretches of COVID that I'd like to write off. <laughs> and I, so I think these guys are the same way, right? And if we accept that those two things are are, are out of their control and you know don't not necessarily their fault, I think it's also reasonable. You can you can, again you can talk yourself into the idea that well, if the first two seasons are or were washes in some respect, then maybe you know year three everyone's saying well it's, it's year three now it should be different. We're not really in year three, right? You gotta you can you gotta adjust your timeline a little bit. You can also just say I get all that. But Buddy, their their record against the Big Ten is worse than their record against top three teams. They're playing it. They're essentially playing a top three team every night in the Big Ten, and they're not. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to reconcile those numbers. Here's what I know: this, Trev Alberts, the athletic director, has made it clear that he doesn't care. Like what he said about the football team, he doesn't just care. About, about the number of wins you have. He cares about how you look. How, he cares about the context of those wins and losses. The football team looked genuinely competitive every week, looked genuinely close every week, frustratingly close, never close enough, but close every week. This team looks like it has it for, I don't know, two or three minutes at a time. They start game, they've been starting games strong. They started the Wisconsin game. They looked really good on offense. And then when, when it doesn't work, Man, is it ugly. I mean, not just, not just that you missed 12 shots in a row. It's the way you miss those shots. It's guys just clearing out for ISOs and everyone, like, there's a point in the Wisconsin game, uh, actually during their comeback, where Bryce gets a switch on a big man, and, the, and then Brad Davis is guarding Derek Walker, and Derek Walker is calling for the ball in the post. Bryce is waving off Derek Walker, and Derek Walker's like, waving his hand, like, dude, this guy's like, eight inches shorter than me. Give me the ball. And Bryce is like waving him off. And Bryce pulls up for three over Sunford. He makes the shot. Good job. That's awesome. But he's missed so many shots exactly like that. And it's just like those moments are, are so deflating. Like if, if you have, I have, I am no athlete, but I have played basketball at the YMCA. And if there is a dude gunning it out there, like just shooting every other possession, and the shots aren't going in, your teammates are not going to be happy, man. And that's, that is, it shows in the body language sometimes. And I know that, that Alberts is taking note of that stuff. And, and like yeah. the Rutgers game that you mentioned, the previous Rutgers game, where 
they just kind of took the foot off the gas. That stuff, that stuff doesn't sit well. And that has nothing to do with COVID last year or the, the initial roster. That is the stuff that I think is the most glaring and the biggest indictment of the program right now. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't know that you'd seen me play at the Y. So, uh, and, and secondly, yeah, the, the fact it, it kind of interesting the way you say with that Bryce McGowan's play, it's, it's not necessarily about the result right now. It's about the behavior. Um, and, and that is a pretty good indication of, of not only what is happening on the floor, but what Trev Alberts is looking at. And, um, that, that'll be interesting to, to kind of see play out over the rest of this season. So, um, 30 seconds here. What do you expect out of, uh, what, what Nebraska does against Rutgers tonight at 530? Better. Better than last time. Rutgers made a bunch of threes. Not Rutgers made more threes than they are accustomed to making. Last time, Nebraska took just that was a disaster performance. I think that's their worst loss of the season. Yeah. If it better be better, I'll, I'll put it that way. It's it's got to be at least competitive, and I think this is one of their best chances to win the rest of the way. We shall see 5.30 game and a 4.30 pregame tip-off here on KL, our pregame show here on KLIN. Uh, Jimmy Watkins from the Omaha World Herald, uh, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again later. Appreciate you guys. All right, Jimmy Watkins uh, will be there uh, covering Husker Hoops for us, uh, for you and, and everyone there on uh, um, on the, the World Herald pages and there at OwH.com. Uh, Caleb, let's get to baseball real quick as well because they open practice, uh, and it's – it, just 20 days away from the start of the season, um, you had Shea Shanneman and Max Anderson both talk to the media as well. Um, looking at what they'll have, um, just go around the diamond, you've got Bryce Matthews and Max Anderson, two guys who are definitely going to play a lot. Uh, Griffin Everett behind the plate. Uh, you feel pretty good about Jack Style getting uh, a little bit of time over at first base. Um, interested to see what they do um, at shortstop. Uh, maybe a newcomer, maybe uh, Cervantes gets a shot. He's not much with the bat, but he's a really good fielder. Uh, and then you got Leighton Banjoff, who I think is going to get a shot at a starting role after not playing a whole lot last year. Uh, and Cam Chick, uh, I, I think, would be a good candidate for an outfield spot as well. Uh, and, and that leaves another one open. Um, what what are your thoughts on on what you can see here um, early on from baseball, Gatney? Well, I'm going to be interested to see what goes on with the starting pitching. That's obviously yeah. the biggest place you got to replace um, anything that Spencer Schwellenbach did as he went in and closed for you too. Max Anderson getting some early pub for a Big Ten preseason player of the year. So yes. there's, there's some good things happening there. Less than three weeks out from that uh, first game, February 18th. Yep, they're going to be down in Huntsville, Texas uh, to open the season against Sam Houston State. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. Uh, thanks to Jimmy Watkins. Thanks to you for joining us. Go get your shot. Wear a mask. Go Big Red. Green, green, green. It's your home. It's your dream. Radon testing. Keep it healthy and clean. Make it green, green, green. Making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Make sure you test your home for the presence of radon. It's easy. To learn more, call 866-730-GREEN. Preserve your family's health and well-being. Get your home tested. Now that's living healthy and green. Green, green, green. It's your home, it's your dream. Call 866-730-GREEN. A message from the U.S. EPA.